We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man-to-Man Podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. You guys know where to follow me at on there, so I'll just keep shouting out the YouTube channel, Seahawks Man-to-Man. That's the number two man on YouTube. Shout out to everybody who listens on there. Uh, Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKID206. All right, we're back with another midweek episode where we talk to a special guest who covers the Seahawks' upcoming opponent. Seattle's going to head back home to Lumen Field to host the Atlanta Falcons. So to talk about the Falcons, we have Falcons beat writer for The Athletic, Josh Kendall, on the line. Josh, welcome to the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. Man, we're happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. And you are, you are here in Seattle. You're one of our rare guests joining us when they're already in Seattle for the show. I am Northgate. I think it's Northgate is right outside my right outside my window here. I'm enjoying my time, my 24 hours so far. It's cool. It's cooler than it is where I'm from. How are you it, adjusting to the time zone? <laughs> not well, not well at all. I, I, I've long been flummoxed by central time and that's just an hour difference for me. So three hours, I'm, I, 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 I'm going to be useless until mid season. This is going to ruin me till at least week nine. <laughs> and and you are you're you're staying the week in Seattle because the the Rams uh, the Falcons just played the Rams and there was no point in just going back and forth across the country. Yeah, and they're practicing um, at UW this week, so they're doing all their regular media availability here. Um, so I thought I'd you know use it as an excuse to spend some company money, stay out here. Well, there you go, man. That's, that's, that's fun. Hopefully, you're you know enjoying the city. If you need any recommendation or anything, ask Chris. Don't ask me. Um, I'll do it because <laughs> I'll just send you to a bunch of bars that I like and have you eating a bunch of greasy fried food, man. I'm not uh, a really yeah. bad touristy. That is what that is what I'm used to. <laughs> there you go. That's some of my, some of my favorite stuff, man. But uh, let's let's jump into you know the Falcons and the Seahawks. Uh, but first, uh, how long have you been covering the Falcons? When did you start with uh, the Athletic? 2021. So, well, I started, I think, four or five years ago. I did college football for most of my life, um, starting at the Athletic about four or five years ago. Then I moved from uh, University of South Carolina beat to the Falcons beat 
in right before the 2021 season. So I came in right with with the Arthur Smith, Terry Fontenot era. Um, I grew up in Georgia. I was, we were talking earlier. You know, I was a Fal- big Falcons fan as a kid. I had a pet parakeet. That's not easy to say. That I named after William Andrews. But my 28 to three was when they blew a big lead to the Cowboys. They were the number one seed in the 1980. I think it was the 80 playoffs. They blew a lead to the Cowboys. I gave up on them from that day forward. Was never a Falcons fan again. And then you know I've been sucked back into the universe now. That was a was falconing before falconing was a term. Oh, they've been falconing for a while now. This is <laughs> yeah, this is not new. Yeah, no, that's a uh, so based. Uh, I thought it was funny that uh you know Arthur Smith after the, uh, the head coach of the Falcons blew that lead uh, in week 1 to the Saints and he got you know got upset with the media after the game um and he was like yeah you guys have been writing our obituary since May um but you know we're going to you know keep going or whatever else he said I, I quote tweeted the video um and the point I was making was cuz you know Seahawks fans only care about so much about the Falcons but I was just like you know this Arthur Smith guy seems to think that he deserves the benefit of the doubt as the Falcons coach, like people should think that you're going to come in here and turn things around. And I want to, I wish I could tell Arthur, like, dude, you are the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, my man. There are a ton of people like Josh who have been scorned by this. Been living this, been living this since the, since the eighties and more, more recently, more specifically for Arthur's situation. If you want to change the narrative of a good way to start is not blowing 16 point fourth quarter leads so if you if you don't want people to say those things then you know don't quit giving them the ammunition but he was mad it was right after the game and you know i i tend to forgive a lot of those things that they say he's an intelligent guy i think he's done a fine job so far so i you know i hope people's overall impression of him is not colored by that i'm a big fan personally i don't know about about you mike but when a coach gets up there and is really raw and ragged and maybe says something dumb i'm all for it that makes you know that's the story because that became the story you know i don't have to be creative i don't have to come up with something you just went up there and sort of showed your behind after a game you've done my job for me right for for better or worse you know yeah. whether he comes up there celebrating or flipping you guys the bird you know there's your there's your thing Pete carroll last year i forget which game it was now chris may remember Pete just like stormed off at his post-game press conference and then came back like 10 minutes later or something like that and apologized and just finished the press conference. Probably did another eight to 10 minutes. I appreciate that from Pete. Uh, you know, it's like, you know what? We understand you were pissed. I, Chris, you remember what game that was? Where you it, did that? It was November. Was it one of those Dino games? Oh, man. I th- I'm trying to I can look it up. Let me look it up for you. Yeah, Keep we, going. We, I'll we, find we it. Back Spur- back. I covered Spurrier. Spurrier did that. At South Carolina one year, he had a terrible defense, and it was driving him nuts. And they gave up a big lead to Tennessee. And he comes in, and he sits down at the podium, and he picks out the stat sheet, and he looks at it, and he just slaps it down and walks out of the room. Never returns. <laughs> that was his post-game press conference. And you know what? That's okay sometimes. I can deal with it. It was you after know? the Arizona game, Mike. Oh, that's – you know what? And that – I can understand Pete on that because, Josh, what happened was they had lost at home to the Arizona Cardinals, um, led by Colt McCoy. Um, and it was the second straight year they had lost at home to a team starting Colt McCoy. In 2020, they had lost to the Giants starting Colt McCoy. And this year, last year, they lost to the Cardinals. And this was with Russell Wilson back. And Pete was just like, yeah, I'm out of here, man. Like, I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not doing this. You know, I get it. Okay. That's all right. Um, you know, part of the reason, you know, he just said, 
expectations for his team that just weren't being met. So it was very frustrating uh, for him. I'm sure it was frustrating, you know, for Arthur. So with with that in mind, though, let's 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 pivot to the Falcons a little bit and how this game was going to go. Just before we get to the game itself, though, what were your expectations, you know, coming in for the 2022 Falcons? You know, I I hate predictions. I I hate you know sort of positioning myself. I, I I feel like I know a lot about the team. I don't think that makes me an expert on predicting this team or any team's outcome. But I landed on six and eleven. I think that's a fair assessment of, of where this team is in terms of its rebuild. You're talking about sixty-three million dollars of dead money. You're talking about moving on from Matt Ryan, who's a pretty good quarterback, his Indianapolis start notwithstanding in my mind. Um so I just, you know, this is not a this should not be confused with a good football team. I think that the Falcons ceiling this year is for, for if you're a Falcons fan is an interesting and improving football team and find a few things that you can look at to, to track as markers of progress if you want to if, if you want to have some fun with this with this team because I don't think that you know hinging your happiness on wins and losses is going to be a good strategy no hinging your happiness on the Falcons is probably just in general just not a not not a good not a good uh, strategy there I got a I got a homie who's a Falcons fan he didn't put his heart on it uh, I texted him during the game. I said, hey, man, are you okay? Because it's just during the Rams game. He's like, yeah, I'm fine, man. I got the Rams minus 10, you know? Uh, and that's and that's when the Rams were up 28-3. But then I texted him right before the game went final. I said, dude, you got to stop putting your money on Falcons the game. Fal- the Falcons got him twice on one in one day. Falcons oh, got him twice in one day there. That was brutal. That was, yeah, no, that was that was, that was bad. Um, but, you know, one of the things about the Seahawks that's been, that was interesting before the start of the season was Pete Carroll – he wasn't bullshitting. He was telling people, hey, we expect to win a championship, just like we expect to win that every year. That's how he's wired. That's the type of guy who wrote a book called Win Forever, you know, and, and won a bunch at USC, won a bunch here. He's like, I've been winning for the past 20 years, so I don't expect to do anything else but win. Whereas everyone else in the league is like, Pete, your team's going to stink. <laughs> he traded Russ. Um, so the expectations inside the building were vastly different than those of uh, the people inside the building. So for the Falcons, like you just said, realistically, realistic people are probably at six wins, five wins, seven wins, whatever. What do the Falcons think they should be this year? Oh, that yeah, that, they're they're not. Arthur doesn't carry himself like Pete in in that he's never going to say hey, we expect to win a championship. He's never going to say anything. But he was pushed back hard on the idea. Anytime we, when I say we, me and and Jeff Schultz, who is who is our Atlanta columnist, has bumped up against the idea that. You know, part of 2022 should be preparing for 2023, whether that means, you know, positioning yourself well in the draft, whether that means you've got to get a good look at Desmond Ritter at some point this year. So, you know what you have prior to the 2023 draft. He pushes back really hard. And I think that he legitimately believes that. I think that he I think he believes that the best way to live in the NFL is to sort of be the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he wants to be Mike Tomlin Steelers. He wants to grind it out to win every single week and have a team that in its down years is nine and eight and in its good years has championship potential. And he believes the best way to get there is just to do every, put every single resource into winning each week. Even if you are kind of bumping your head on a brick wall, in a year like this, because what is what has Mike Tomlin been there? What for fifteen years or something like that, and never gone, uh, never, never had a losing record. Never had a losing record. So, 
you know, I'm, and obviously lots of people would like to be that. But I think that in his heart of hearts, Arthur probably emulates that strategy. We're not going to give an inch. We're not going to concede to a rebuild. We're never going to think we've got to go out and get this guy or that guy. We're going to build a system and we're going to you know, fight and claw every day, whether it's churning the bottom of our roster, whether it's developing this guy or that guy to be the best we can be. And part of that living that way is not saying, yeah, we're not going to be very good this this year. It's all about we're preparing for this week and we think we can win this week. Yeah, that is probably the, the more it's you have to sell that message. I've, me and Chris right. have been kind of talking about that for the Seahawks perspective, because there are people who fans in particular like, you know, hey, let's stink this year. We got two first round picks. Let's go get Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or or, or Levis from Kentucky or whoever the you know, next future quarterback is. But, you know, Pete will push back on that. And most coaches will, man. You're asking grown men to beat their heads against another set of grown men for 17 weeks. No one cares about what some kids at Ohio State are doing, you know, right, right now you know, in in the building. Um, Josh, I have some bad news for you. You said you don't like making picks. I know. That is what me and Chris ask of our guests every week here. So we are going to put you on the spot um, and start our show off early with the prediction, Seahawks Falcons. Chris, you got the spread in front of you? Uh, you know what? Let me pull it up for you. I or Josh, do you know what the top of your head? Two, last I saw was Seahawks two and a half, minus two and a half. Two and a half in favor of who? In favor of the Seahawks. Seahawks, I would assume. Seahawks, oh, yeah. Okay. All right, let's let's roll with that. Um, I think at the athletic we got some deal with Bet MGM or something, but I don't feel like looking theirs is up. So we'll go with whatever whatever you got there. Who are you picking, Josh? Two and a half. Oh boy, I, I do hate these. I'm gonna pick Atlanta. I'm gonna pick Atlanta with the two and a half because I think I'm just playing the math here. I think we've got two flawed teams. I think that, you know, <laughs> Atlanta's luck. This is a guy, this is me after I I've told you my story of, you know, <laughs> forty five years of following the Falcons. Saying that Atlanta's luck, you know, this is the NFL and, you know, these things cycle out. You know, I don't see Atlanta being being 0 3 necessarily. Give me the math. Give me the Falcons. I'll take the two and a half points. If it's a one point game, I I still win. Falcons can be 0 3. That's fine. (laughs) All right. So you got got the Falcons by one? I got, no, I got the Falcons. Give me the points. I'm not saying the Falcons are going to win, but I'll take those two and a half points, you know. Right, I got to see. I got the Seahawks winning, but I, I'm gonna okay. take the points. Seahawks winning. Okay. Okay. All right. That's it. Here we go. All right. Seahawks winning, but Falcons covering. Falcons covering. Fal- right. Falcons yeah. gonna play another close game. Falcons have built a big lead and lost it. The Falcons have almost erased a 28 to three lead against the Rams. So now they've got to find a third way. You know, they <laughs> a third way to lose again. I mean, this is this is like Falcons bingo. All right. So now for the good news, Josh is usually. We do our predictions at the end. We just leave our guests out to dry. Chris and I oh. usually don't make predictions. We're just like, yeah, all right, then uh, you're on. You're on the spot uh, there. Uh, this time we'll help you out. Chris and I will. We'll kind of talk about who we think will win too, and kind of push the the discussion here forward based on that. So I'll put Chris on the spot first. Chris, who you got? We talked about it off wax. I actually have the Falcons winning this game, and it's some of the reasons Josh you touched on. You don't see them starting zero three, but. It could happen. I also think this is a game where we see more of Drake London and their star tight end, Pitts, Kyle Pitts, that is. I think they find a way to get him. And Mariota hasn't been terrible. I watched a little bit of the game on last week that they played, and I thought they looked okay. They just went up against a really good Rams team. Rams got to a hot start. Tough to come back, and they did come back. And then I look at the Seahawks and what they're doing. They're struggling on offense. Last week, they didn't even score against the Niners. 
and you're going up against a defense that there's a lot of question marks about them, but they think they have a team that can come out there and slow a team down. And when you have a struggling offense and a defense that is set to make a statement, I think this is the week that they definitely make a statement and it'll be a probably, it'll definitely be a close game, but I think the offense is going to, for the Falcons is going to put up more points and that's where I have my money at. I think the Falcons offense will just be a little bit better than what the Seahawks have to offer, which it's not saying much. They're two struggling teams, but I just look at what the Falcons have done in two weeks. I think they're averaging 28 points per game. (laughs) So they're putting up points, but they also are giving up points as well. And the Seahawks, on the other hand, they didn't even score last week. Yeah, that is hard to have faith in a team that didn't score any any offensive points last week. Uh, so the beauty of me going last is I could actually just not make a prediction and continue the no, show. No, no, you're making um, a prediction. But I, I, I don't have to. Um, I, I could, uh, but I'm not. I'm not going to. I like this. I like the Seahawks as well. I'm with. Um, I'm I'm with Josh here, mostly because of the offensive philosophy change that uh, Pete Carroll said is coming. He was like, look, you know, there's no reason to hold Gina back. He's got good pass protection. He's got guys he can throw it to. He's throwing the ball accurate. He's not wrong about that. Gino leads the league in completion percentage, uh, 81%, which is nuts. Uh, so he's like, yeah, open it up. And everyone in Seahawks world is like, well, goddamn, man, where you been? You just you gave think? DK Metcalf $24 million a year. You just now figuring out you want to throw it to him? Uh, gee, surprise it took two weeks. Um, but the, the reason- I, mean, I, I think oh, it'll be interesting ahead, because the Seahawks, the Seahawks haven't run the ball very well, and the Falcons haven't defended the run very well. If mm-hmm. If – if the Seahawks want to sort of let Geno cook, I think Dean Pease is fine with that because I think Dean Pease wants to blitz the hell out of everybody he plays. And that should be fun. I mean, it should be a fun game. It should be an interesting game. I don't want to see the Seahawks' crappy run game against the Falcons' crappy run defense. Let's put Geno against the blitzes and let's just see what happens. Let's roll it out there and see what happens. The the quarterback situation in Atlanta is actually one reason why I lean towards um, the Seahawks and Josh, I want to see what you think about this. Cause when I watch, when I watched Mariota in the preseason, which I mean, that shows you how much of a sicko I am. I was watching Falcons preseason football. All right. That's the best that I know. Right. Voluntarily. Like there's no reason for me to be doing that. Uh, when I watch him in the preseason and then watch him against the saints and then watch him against the Rams, I see a guy who appears to be more comfortable bailing out of the pocket and making plays there, whether with his legs or bailing and then throwing than someone who just wants to stand in there and operate. And I think that can be a dangerous way to live. But that's just my thought of just watching the games. I haven't seen him that much maybe in practice or anything else. But what do you, what have you seen in that regard of Mar- Mariota's pocket presence so far? Yeah, he, he I think he gets off of the he gets off of his progressions and uses his feet too early a lot on a lot of occasions. But you know, in, in some ways, he's kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, because they asked him, especially in the first week, they asked him to use his legs a lot. They ran a lot of zone reads. They're going to run him on a lot of boots. So they have put into his head that we want you to use your legs as a weapon. So, uh, and he's gotten them, he's stolen a couple of first downs. He's made some plays with his legs. I think he ran for 70 yards. He might not, not 70. He might have run for 70 yards in the opener. He's been a weapon there, but there are moments where he has got to stay in the pocket. And it's come down to moments for Marcus because he has been a really good presence for this team in the locker room. He's been about as good as they could have hoped for, given that they put themselves in a position where they had to trade their 14-year guy. And Marcus is – they signed Marcus the same day they traded Matt Ryan. Marcus was available, a guy that Arthur Smith knew, had a comfort level with, could plug him in. He's been great in the locker room. He's a great bridge quarterback, whatever the bridge ends up being to – but he's had moments that have been bad. 
you know, the, the failed snap on third and one against the Saints two weeks ago, prior to the fourth and one decision that Arthur Smith is getting some crap about, they just couldn't get the snap under center and botched a third and one on a play call that they felt like they were going to be running for days. They were going to convert. They get the snap on that third and one and convert that. The game's over. They beat the Saints. The, the, the throw he puts up to Brian Edwards, Jalen Ramsey, Moss is him on that sort of ends their chances uh, against the Rams. He had a guy wide open in the flat that maybe scores there. OZ. So they're just been – Marcus Mariota has done a lot of good things for this team, but there have been a handful of moments where he's really hurt them, and that's the stuff he's got to clean up. You know, uh, I, Chris just reminded me, and I f- f- totally forgot. Thank you, Chris. We usually on this show, Josh, when we have someone who covers another team on – the thing I asked them is, is their quarterback good? It's usually just what I throw out there. So I'll let them let the person just take that where they want to. So I will toss that to you because, Chris, if I'm correct, we have not asked anyone that who covers Mariota because right, he hasn't been a starter in some time. So for the first time on this show, Josh, is Marcus Mariota good? Yes, he is. Um, if I mean, if you asked me, is Marcus Mariota fine? I would answer that question with more conviction because, <laughs> uh, you know, he's been good for this team. If he can clean up those few mistakes, you know, in those critical mistakes, you know, this team could in some alternate universe be two and oh. So do you look at it, look at him and say, okay, he's just got to clean up these one or two things and they'll be in good shape. Or do you think, is that baked into the DNA somehow? That that's what you've got to answer. So right now I'm going to say, yeah, Marcus Mariota is good because this offense is a lot better than it was last year overall. It's in these critical moments that they haven't made the plays. And, and I don't know if you want to put all that on Marcus Mariota because when he puts that Falcons jersey on, some of that comes with it, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, a, there's, a, yeah, there's some bad juju uh, associated with some, with uh, yeah playing for that franchise, unfortunately. Um, one of the things I, I kind of theorized when I first was watching uh, Marcus Mariota run a lot, I was like, oh, maybe he just doesn't trust the O-line. And I was watching the, you know the end zone copy of the Rams game in particular, and I was like, wait, wait, wait. These guys ain't even playing that bad. Um, no, they're so not. What, yeah, what, yeah, what have you thought of the O-line? And how do you think they'll they'll go up against a, a Seahawks unit that actually isn't really bringing much heat on quarterbacks through two weeks? Offensive line has been much better through through two games. I mean, it's, it's a short sample size, but they were really bad last year. And it was magnified because Matt Ryan is not nearly as mobile as Marcus Mariota. So Marcus Mariota, I don't think, has reason to not trust his pass protection. It's been – as good, I mean, it's certainly been good enough. I think he's third uh, in the NFL at the moment in average time to throw at 2.8 seconds. So this is not a his protection has failed him and he is and he is gun shy. This is a, a quarterback issue. This is this is a Marcus Mariota issue. You can't put this one on the Falcons' offensive line. It got dumped on a lot last year, and rightly so. But it's been pretty good. And the Falcons also week one, and I haven't, I haven't checked week two. Week one. They led the league in um, yards per yards per rush before contact. So those guys are doing their job. Who do you think has the advantage then uh, on Sunday? Falcons O-line or Seahawks D-line? I'd say Falcons O-line. I, I, I do think that – I mean, it, it's, it's reactionary um, after the year that, that Atlanta had last year to sort of say everybody has the advantage. But I think they've played well, and I think they deserve some credit for playing well. 
Yeah, no, Aaron, uh, Aaron Donald did not kill Marcus Mariota, which is like one way to assess if your O-line is yeah, good, right? And that, they had a good plan. Arthur Smith is is a sharp guy. Dwayne Ledford, their offensive line coach, is a sharp guy. They had a good plan for Donald. They chipped him with a back from a lot of different directions. Um, I, I think that they had a good plan. And, yeah, I didn't. you didn't notice 99 a ton. And if you don't – if that guy's not killing you, that's a pretty good day. Yeah, that's a great – I mean – Josh, we're in Seattle. If Aaron Donald ain't killing your quarterback, that is a win. That a is a day. win. Aaron broke Russell's finger last year, and that that changed the whole franchise. Uh, so yeah, if 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 Aaron's if ninety nine is not killing your guy, you're 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 doing something right. Our right, last thing on the QBs, then before we before we move on, I am. I don't know if Chris is as well, but I am a Desmond Ritter stand. Uh, I fell in love with him during the draft, and I mocked him to the Seahawks. I was like, take this guy. He can stand in a pocket and just operate your offense as you want it to. I think he can do it. Um, and then the Falcons got him. I was like, oh, they should start him. And then, I, oh, you know what? That's why I was watching preseason Falcons football. Ah, to see Desmond Ritter. Okay. Ritter stand. There it is. That That is it. So is there a world where, where Desmond comes in and starts games this year? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I think, I think absolutely. This stretch, um, this seven-game stretch to start the season for Atlanta is pretty rough. Well, I, I say it looked pretty rough. One of the things we were circling is pretty rough is a, is a trip to Cincinnati in a couple of weeks. That doesn't necessarily look as daunting right now. But, you know, the first seven games, when I looked at the schedule, looked pretty rough and looked to me like that's good veteran quarterback territory. But if you look at weeks eight, nine, ten, they play the Panthers twice in that stretch, once at home, once on the road. I forget. I, it may be the Chargers who's in, who are in the middle there of that sandwich, but, you know, th- throw that to the side. So, if Marcus Mariota is not is still doing the things that we talked about a little earlier, you know, in those critical moments, I think that gives Arthur Smith a window potentially in weeks eight, nine, and ten to put Desmond Ritter in there. You're playing the, you're playing a bad team twice in that stretch, not just a, so you, you get a 
not not a tough go, but you also don't have to prep as much. I mean, if you if you prep for the Panthers once, you kind of get to recycle a little bit of that on week three. Right. It just feels like a manageable place to put a rookie in. Um, Marcus Mariota is playing better, um, and this team has actually won a few games. I don't think Arthur Smith will pull the trigger there. He has been very um, adamant that he wants to be fair to Marcus. He doesn't want to yank Marcus for the sake of Desmond's development, et cetera, et cetera. I believe him when he says that. I also believe that they have to know what Desmond Ritter is before the 2023 draft. And they liked what they saw in training camp. They liked what they saw in the preseason. They love um, how quickly he picked up NFL football and their offense. But you've got to see it in regular season games. You've got to know before you get to 2023, especially if you feel like you're going to be in a position um, at the top of the draft where you, you, you would have an opportunity at a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud or somebody like that. Sticking with the offense, you guys, the Falcons take Drake London eighth overall in the 2022 NFL draft out of USC. And my question is simple. I mean, right now, through two games, 13 catches, 160 yards and a touchdown. Is he falling short of expectations, meeting expectations, or is he exceeding expectations through these two games, you think? I think he's exceeding my expectations only from a volume standpoint because I expected – Kyle Pitts to eat up some of that volume. And it has not been, you know, Tr- Drake London is is trying to find some targets in Kyle Pitts's universe. It has quickly become Drake London's universe in this passing game. And Kyle Pitts has now got to sort of reinsert himself into that pecking order. And the Falcons have to reinsert him into that into that pecking order. But Drake London has been great. Drake London has been everything that they thought he would be. Um his his straight line speed was the question mark was the reason that a lot of people wondered if he was worthy of the first receiver to go in the draft he was worthy of a top 10 pick um can he get separation that's what everybody wanted to know because everybody said look how well he makes contested catches that's what his cheerleader said and his detractor said why is every single catch he makes in college a contested catch he should be blowing out of these guys well he hasn't had any trouble getting separation in Atlanta. He hasn't had any trouble get trouble getting open, and he's been a big yards after the catch guy, which is what they wanted. He can catch the ball over the middle of the field. He's been sure-handed. I think he's been everything that they wanted. Mm, okay. And the Seahawks defense, we talked a little bit about it, but now they're going up against a stud, I think a stud, and Drake London. How do you see that matchup faring with the Seahawks cornerback situation? They have a young starter a rookie, and that is, and Tariq Woolen, and then on the other side, they have Michael Jackson. How do you see that faring up? Do you see that being a win for the Falcons with their receiving core, and perhaps Kyle Pitts gets into the game and gets some action? I think so, yeah. I'm interested to see Woolen. I mean, I would like to see Woolen against London. I'm a big Tariq Woolen fan, and I was, you know, from the Super Bowl. I mean, just the guy's a freak, and when he puts it all together, I think he's got a chance to be really good. But from what I've seen of Woolen, and it's much less than y'all have seen, but I've seen him a couple of times in, in short spurts in this season, I think Drake London is more polished as a rookie than Woolen is right now. So I give Drake London the advantage there. And, I, you know, Kyle Pitts, four catches, whatever, whatever, he's still Kyle Pitts. He's going to break out. So I, I feel good about Atlanta's matchups in the past game. Hey, Mike, should I do the over-under now, you think, or wait and save it for the last? Uh, you can do it now. Is it, is it a Drake London over-under? <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> okay. So we'll stick with Drake London here. Over under seven and a half catches for sixty-seven and a half yards. 
I got two there for you. Seven and a half catches and 67 and a half yards. Over under for both of those. What you got? I'm going to go under on the catches because I think this is, I think Kyle Pitts has got to sort of reemerge at some point, And I bet I'm betting on this being the week. Um, so if I've got him at six catches, I mean, if I've got him at six and fewer catches, I, I don't want to necessarily predict 10 yards a catch. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go under. Give me under on both. Oh, wow. Okay. We can't count last week because unfortunately Trey Lance, he got hurt. But I think Matt, when I think Matt Barrows took the over on 47 and a half, he took the under on 47 and a half rushing yards. And if Trey Lance didn't get hurt, I think he probably would have ran for a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He was going to hit that. So let's see how this plays out. It should be fun. And I too am excited to see the matchup between Drake London and Tariq Warren, because I do think Drake is a little more posh on little short film that I've studied on him versus Tariq Warren. But I do think it'll be a fun matchup for sure. Yeah. Uh, Josh, uh, I, I think me, me and Chris both probably got wind of Drake London at the same time. Cause we're both uh Washington state grads. Um, I'm, okay. actually, I'm wearing a Coug hat. That's what this hat is right here. Undefeated uh, Cougs, by the way. Um, <laughs> So, so um, last year when USC played Drake London, I was like, oh, this is the best receiver in college football history because <laughs> he was giving us the blues. And we, yeah. it's not like we had a bunch of scrubs. Our best corner last year was Jen Watson, guy who just had that 99-yard or 100-yard pick six on Justin Herbert, you know, for the okay. – uh, yeah, yeah. Jalen was our best guy last year. He was at the Senior Bowl, too, playing pretty well. And, boy, Drake London had him in the Spin cycle, boy. It was <laughs> Drake had like 200 yards, I think, before he broke his leg. I want to say like the next week, or maybe like he's, what did he, what did he really break his smooth. ankle or his leg? What did he break last year? Ankle, ankle. Yeah, yeah. He's no, really, I'm, really I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, big Drake London guy, um, as well. Also, fan of Kyle Pitts, and not just because I'm a Kyle Pitts fantasy owner. Uh, people who listen to this show know I am a terrible fantasy football. Uh, player and I do smart things like take Kyle Pitts and then the brother has what does he have right now four catches four on catches. 10 targets for 10 38 targets. yards come on man that's just yep and my team is 0-2 <laughs> we, <laughs> we we not looking hot but what, what's going on with the with with Kyle I mean it looks like when I watch a little bit of the Falcons film like he's not even the first read on some of this stuff like why has he not been as productive as maybe everyone thought he would be in year two well, he's the first read on more stuff than it looks like he's the first read on. I think they've had some breakdowns and stuff where he was supposed to be the first target. So I think like like everything, like most things, there's not one answer. Um, I think that there are a lot of answers. The Falcons have got to be a little more hard-headed in making sure Kyle gets the ball. Marcus Mariota has got to be a little cleaner in his operation so that when Kyle Pitts is the number one guy in the progression he gets the ball more often and Kyle Pitts got to run better routes Kyle Pitts um you know we heard a lot about the progression from year one to year two and he is a much better blocker he really has I mean significantly he essentially wasn't a blocker he essentially wasn't a tight end last year he's a much better blocker that they've that's allowed them to use him in line more and they're doing that but his route running has got to improve it's been it just hasn't been as sharp as it needs to be through two games you mentioned getting him the ball. I think there is a common factor here. <laughs> the Seahawks are struggling with getting DK the ball. Right now, DK is at, at is it 11 catches, Mike, for 71 yards, I think that is? That is correct, and no touchdowns. And no touchdowns. So I also have DK in that same uh, <laughs> team. <laughs> My team is 0-2, despite me making some good decisions. But anyway, continue. So, Josh, I think you answered the question, but I'm going to throw it in here anyway. Who do you think has the bigger game? Will it be DK? 
finally getting his opportunity to show why he should be paid $24 million a year? Or is it Kyle Pitts that has the big game and leads the Falcons to their first victory? Well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I sound like I'm, I think Atlanta's going to win this game, but I'm, yeah, I'm about to say, <laughs> I'm about to talk, I'm, I'm going to talk myself into the Falcons by this because I do think Kyle Pitts has a big day. It doesn't think, doesn't mean I don't think Metcalf could too. True. Um, because, you know, A.J. Terrell has not necessarily been the A.J. Terrell we saw last year. But the A.J. Terrell we saw last year would have been really hard to match, you know, in, in his defense. But I think Kyle Pitts – Kyle Pitts too good. Um, he's too freakish to, to be averaging two catches a week through three weeks, I think. I, I think he has a, a – not necessarily a breakout, but a much bigger game than he has in the first two weeks. So I think I'm exposing to a lot of our listeners here that I'm actually a fan of a lot of people on the Atlanta Falcons because I'm actually <laughs> a big AJ Terrell guy uh, as well. Like he is He's a good player. He is so good. Like, what? No touchdowns allowed last year. Is that what the stat was? No touchdowns allowed. I think the lowest completion uh, percentage in the league against um, all of sort of the analytics numbers. He was he was number one or, or in the top three. Very smooth. Um, you know, doesn't panic on the on top of routes. I mean, just makes plays on the ball. But that has not been the story in the first two weeks. Michael Thomas got him. Allen Robinson got him. Cooper Cup got him. So he's got to bounce back. If the Falcons defense, because Dean Pease wants to blitz you, he wants to blitz you all the all the time, all day long. They got Casey Hayward on one side to replace Fabian Monroe, who was their starting cornerback last year, because they really want to match up better on the outside because they want to come after the quarterback. Casey's done pretty well. AJ's just got to get back to AJ level. Yeah, I was uh, engaging in some offseason debates because um, me and Chris are both really big cornerback guys. I wasn't debating with Chris necessarily, but like the difference between a Trayvon Diggs in Dallas who gets cooked quite often, but then they'll get you double-digit interceptions, whereas someone like AJ is just a little bit less, less big explosive impact plays like that. Um, but we'll just make sure the guy he's guarding never catches the ball. Or wherever, like it's a, it's a very interesting like stylistic debate on kind of what flavor of cornerback you know, right? Or, yeah, and AJ and Tra- and Trayvon are probably the two best uh, at that. So I was very surprised to be watching the Saints game week one and being like, "Who is Michael Thomas cooking like that? That ain't number twenty four. No, it ain't." And then he gets him again, and then he gets him again. I was like, "My goodness, I right, he'll get it back too." And then I'm like, "All right, who is this that Allen Robinson just hit the goal line fade on? That ain't number twenty four." Again, so I mean, yeah. what, what, what? We you've seen him? Uh, you saw him last year. You've seen him. You're seeing him this year. What's the difference between 2021 AJ and 2022 AJ? Making plays on the ball. The the touchdown to Michael Thomas in the back corner of the end zone, where Thomas is falling away, and AJ dives for that ball, and Thomas catches the touchdown. We saw that play. If we saw that play a half dozen times in 2021, AJ made that play every single time. So I don't know if it's a confidence issue. Robinson, it was just poor technique. I mean, he just let Robinson come off the line of scrimmage without putting his hands on him and let him dictate that route to him and had no shot as soon as Robinson gave him a little sort of inside nod and went back outside. So I don't know if it's confidence. We talked to him yesterday. I talked to him yesterday. He doesn't really have a great explanation for it other than to say, I've got to be better. Um, but I think confidence is so huge at, at that position especially. And he, he sort of needs to get his mojo back. So with that in mind, um, this is <laughs> he's not getting a week off here on Sunday. He's getting a DK Metcalf who really wants to get the ball in in his hands. So who do you think has the advantage on Sunday? AJ Terrell of the Falcons or DK Metcalf of the Seahawks? 
Well, DK, from what we've from what we've seen so far from AJ, I will say this could be a good matchup for AJ because he likes to be physical. He's a physical guy. He's not afraid to come up and hit in the run game. He's not afraid to be physical and pass protection. So, you know, maybe this gets him gives him a chance. A guy like DK is a big physical guy, and AJ can play that way. Maybe this gives him a chance to get that confidence back. But you know, I think it's a coin flip right now. I'll take DK at the moment. DK it is. Yeah, I think you've definitely talked yourself into the Falcons with me, and that's cool, Josh. Thank you for joining the squad. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm going back and forth. Back yeah, and forth. no, Josh is back and forth with one one pick like the Falcons. And see, that's why I wanted to do it that way because you kind of see where the ma- the matchups kind of determine who you, who we think is gonna win. Who who we got up next, Chris? Another big matchup is Grady Jarrett. He is a stud. Okay, defensive tackle can cause havoc in the backfield, but those two games that they've played that the Falcons have played. What can Seahawks fans expect from number 97, especially if they're trying to get back to the run game? Is he going to wreak havoc and be that stuffer in the run game and then put pressure on Geno Smith? I think they wanted to put pressure on Geno Smith. I'm not sure he's going to be a stuffer in the run game. 2021 was his worst year statistically. Had one sack, um, three or four tackles for loss. Um, Just really was not the disruptive guy we had seen. A lot of that was because they were asking him to do different playing completely differently than Dan Quinn had asked him to play. Dan Quinn, the old school Dan Quinn at least, wanted his defensive lineman up the field, penetrating and making plays. Dean Pease just kind of wants you to build a wall and let everything else happen around you. Grady struggled in that system. They struggled to utilize Grady. They came into the season saying, we've got it figured out. We think we're going to be a lot better, and Grady's going to be a lot better with us. Game one, he looked great. Um, I mean, looked like a man possessed, had a sack and a half, topped his season total from 2021 in the first game. Game two was a little less. You know, they brought in Anthony Rush midway through last year, made him a starter this year, 360-pound nose tackle. That's what Dean Pease wants. Dean Pease wants those guys who can just sort of eat up two gaps in the middle. That was not Grady. That was kind of the role they had. he was forced into playing a lot of times last year. So now they've got Anthony Rush. They've stuck his big behind right there in the middle, and they want Grady to be more aggressive around that. So I think Grady Jarrett will get after Geno Smith, yes. But Grady's, Grady's game – for me, it's not necessarily run stopper. So, so I think uh, so. Grady's kind of been more of. Do they have him more like in a? How do I put this? He's more like three technique now, which he's more yeah. comfortable with. Yeah, and they got like a big Al Woods type next yeah. to him. Yeah, that's that's such a. I oh know this isn't Grady's job, but that's such a thankless job being an NFL oh, yeah. tackle man. You <laughs> you just taking on about six hundred pounds per snap. Double team. Yep. Playing like thirty something snaps a game, man. That's just that's just brutal, and, and you don't Doesn't get no glory, cool. nothing. You don't you don't usually make no Pro Bowls doing that. You just get hit every yep. snap, man, every, every single snap. So if 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 Grady, let's say uh, Grady leads the charge on the pass rush, do you think it'll the, the whole pass rush as a unit will come alive for the Falcons? And if so, do they have the advantage um, against the Seahawks O line on Sunday? I think it's going to be on a play by play basis. I think that they'll get some. They brought in Lorenzo Carter. At outside linebacker, they drafted Arnold Ibikiti and a kid named D'Angelo Malone at outside linebacker. Ibikiti's played played more than fifty percent of the snaps last week. Wouldn't shock me if he if he starts against the Seahawks. Lorenzo's been good. What they expect him to be at one of those starting outside linebacker positions. So I think those guys will get some pass rush. Um, I think that they'll get theirs, and it's just a matter of will Geno get his, and I think he probably will. So, I, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting that way. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be a consistent game. I, I, I think it's going to be, you know, sort of trading blows 
from that. Because what is this? What is it? Falcons pass rush done? Not not much, right? Were they like thirtieth in pressure rate or something like that? I haven't I haven't looked this week. They had four sacks. Um, they had four sacks in the opener, which was twenty percent of whatever that you know they had eighteen all of last year. So they had four sacks in the opener. They didn't come after Stafford a lot. That was by design. Stafford in that McVay offense has been twice as good a quarterback when you blitz him as when he hasn't. So Dean Pease, you know. <laughs> They played the Brandon Staley too deep shell and just let them hit that underneath all day long and just had to kind of grit their teeth and take it because they were so scared of Stafford. If they brought pressure, he was just going to kill them quick. They decided they were going to try to die slow. Um, and then they used their sort of big comeback at the end to validate that they had the right strategy. And maybe they did. Um, but, you know, they, they didn't stop anything underneath. I don't think they'll let Gino do that to them. I think that they'll put Gino in a position where he's got to see if he can make those big plays over the top. You know, Stafford's an interesting guy to to think about in that way because, um, like, if you like Mahomes, Josh Allen, you blitz them, you're cooked, right? Like, it's you, you, you are. You're just your your team's going to lose probably bad and very fast. Whereas Stafford, it feels like you can you can blitz him in certain spots and he'll just be Stafford again. Because like you saw Josh, like he had that play. Everything's going well, and he just throws it up. So I don't even know who. And then I think Casey Hayward picks him off. Someone picks him off in the yeah in the end zone. That was Hayward. And I was not a. He was not under pressure that 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 pass. I mean, that was just he had that was just pretty as you please. That was you know he just dropped back, plug it up there, and he's gonna do that. And I think he's gonna do that regardless of whether you pressure him or not. Because I didn't track it back to his Detroit days because I kind of give him a pass for that. But in that McVay offense, his QBR is twice as high when he's blitzed is when it's not, when he's not blitzed his physical talent. I mean, that kid, I covered that kid when he came to Georgia, I was the Georgia beat writer when he came to Georgia and he's been that dude with that arm from the moment he came out of Highland park, uh, Texas. He, he is physically gifted. And I think that when you put him under pressure, those physical gifts really rise to the top. I think you're better off trying to, trying to confuse him, trying to do something else than put him in a position where he just got to be a gunslinger. The, yeah, the Stafford, just no pressure at all. Just like, you know what? Huh, Casey Hayward's open. Oh, dang, Casey Hayward played for the Falcons. I shouldn't have thrown that. I forget what the other – he had two interceptions, didn't he, in that in that uh, game? Mike Walker got him um, on a play that, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they the other linebacker, they faked the pressure, and Mike Walker went back into the hole, and he threw it He threw it sort of right to him. But Mike Walker made a good play on that. Casey Hayward's now intercepted Matt three times. Um and Matt, he, apparently Matt said something to Casey after the game, but but Casey was was note was noting that he's gotten him three times now. And so I was looking back at all the guys that Casey's in, uh, intercepted throughout his career, the listing the guys that he's picked off multiple times. And my favorite discovery in that is he's picked off Nate Peterman twice in fourteen snaps they played against each other. <laughs> that was my favorite. Jesus Christ! Was that when he was with the Raiders or? Uh, Oh, I don't know. Maybe when he was with the the Bills. No, I'm Chargers. talking about Casey Hayward. Maybe oh. when Casey was with the Chargers. Wasn't Peterman with the Raiders? Oh, yeah. Well, now and, we're just rehashing Nathan Peterman's career. It's fascinating. And then I realized, and then I realized that another guy that he's picked off twice is Trevor Simeon. Then I realized that Trevor Simeon and Peterman both are the Bears' backup quarterbacks. <laughs> so, you know that just you know Justin Fields has got all the rope he needs. They are never pulling that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do wonder if um, quarterbacks have that. I don't want to call it arrogance, but just like 
you know what? I can kind of get busy how I need to because they ain't about to put that dude in. And I feel like Nathan, like if the opposite spectrum of that is like Nick Foles. Like you don't, I wouldn't ever want Nick Foles to be my backup because I feel like something the QB bad, coach. Something bad's happening to you. Yeah, the OC, the QB. Co- yeah, a I'm gonna get hurt probably, and then B when I do, like okay, these guys are just going to love the backup dude thinking he can just take us to the Super Bowl as if that wasn't a fluke. But, like, I would love if, like, Nathan Peterman was my main backup. It's like, I know I can throw as many interceptions as I could and God will please because they're not about to put that dude in. Everybody's getting fired if you put that dude in. Um, I have a quick observation on the Falcons real quick because one way to judge um, teams, I think, when they're kind of in this rebuilding phase and they have a new coach, particularly coaches that haven't been, like, head coaches before, is you want to see – how well their teams kind of fight for them and fight like late in games. Like if when I watch the Lions, as you can, guys can see, I torture myself with watching bad football. When I watch a team like the Lions, I'm like, all right, are these guys riding for Dan Campbell? Like, what does that, what does that look like? And I was impressed, Josh, I'm curious, you were too, just that they really did fight back in that game against the defending champs. Cause everything was getting, they was getting smoked, man. And then I'm watching, cause I'm watching that. So the way I watched this particular game, was I had the offensive cutups all in one video and had defense in one video. So I watched the defense first. So I can't really see how the score changes. It tells me the scores change. And I'm like, you know what? These guys are getting their ass beat. And they're still punching the ball away from Cooper Cup, still yeah. picking off Matt Stafford. And did, did you see that as a sign that, like, what Arthur Smith's got going is something that, that can be built upon? I, d- I do. I mean, for all of my sort of baked-in Falcons jokes and baked-in, you know, Falcons reactions you know so I have these visceral reactions to this is the falcons i do think arthur smith has done a good job i think this team is demonstrably better than they were a year ago i think this team likes arthur smith and plays really hard for arthur smith we have not seen from week one we have not seen any of this sort of game mismanagement that we've seen from a lot of guys who take over the head coaching job for the first time um nate nathaniel hackett is the guy who's sort of you know in the on the dunce stool this week, everybody's, you know, everybody's pinata this week. But there's been none of that stuff with Arthur Smith. He's been prepared for this job. I think he's built a really good culture, I, although I sort of hate that word because it's so vague and squishy. They like him. They play hard for him. So far, so good. I mean, in all honesty, if I'm a Falcons fan, I, at this moment, I feel good about this new regime. I feel like at least I can see a pathway to – a competent NFL organization from where they are. No, yeah, no. Nathaniel Hackett, Broncos head coach, is getting dunked on everywhere. Yeah. They look a man like he, he looked like he he went to the Andy Reid and Pete Carroll school of like timeout and situational management because he ain't he don't look like he knows what personnel supposed to be in there. How many timeouts they got? Chris, did you see that the the, the Broncos fans was like counting down the play clock? Yeah, out loud. Yeah. And, then and then Russ booing, booing the offense too. Yeah, and then Russ went up there and did his little PC comment. Oh, the fans are great. No, Russ, you you guys stink, and you don't know what's <laughs> going on, and they're trying to help you. They're embarrassed for you guys. So, yeah, the, the Broncos are a mess right now. Hopefully they win on Sunday because, man, I can only imagine if they lose that game to the Niners. But anyway. Is that the night game on Sunday as well? Yeah, Sunday night. Well, Yo, let me double check. I think so. I think that is that. that uh, I think I got like an email notification about it. Boy, if if if, if Daniel Hackett don't look good coaching on a night game, everything's extrapolated when you play at night. Yeah, it's Sunday night. What? Everything is every when you play a Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, and your team gets smoked to the worst team ever. They win and they're the best team. Look at how people are talking about the Buffalo Bills and the Eagles right now. 
you know, we're, t- we're recording this on Tuesday. That's because of Monday. Well, them teams look like 72 Dolphins, uh, you know, in everybody's mind. Uh, even the Seahawks after they won on Monday after they beat the Broncos. The Seahawks led every talk show on Tuesday. Uh, I was like, ah, I mean, okay, Geno Smith got this thing done. And they go out and not score. So, yeah, you definitely don't want to lose. You never want to lose. But losing on, on primetime, man, that just. It's a different level, man. Yeah, the the uh, the, uh, the Falcons got anything on primetime? I know they were bad last year. They've got one of the Thursday – the Panthers game, one of those Panthers games, and I can't remember off the top of my head which one is the Thursday night game. So, oh, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, got to win that. <laughs> do not – do not. at the very least, don't get embarrassed. That's the That's biggest thing. thing. Don't, yeah. don't, they, they don't played, Go ahead, they John. played that Thursday night game against the Patriots last year and got beat 25 to nothing. Which looks worse and worse the further away you get from it. Yeah, the Titans yeah. are gonna wish they never played last night on national television because man, they yeah, look no, bad. That was no, they pulled. They, I don't know we're talking about other teams now, but they pulled. They put Malik Willis in with three minutes left in the third quarter. Yes, <laughs> Derek Henry was done for the night in the third quarter. Insane. Yo, uh, before we get Josh out of here. Um, Josh, there are two plays that I really loved watching that Falcons game. Chris is probably going to see him when he watches, too. It's They're both actually – who's number 63 on the Falcons? I actually don't even know who that is. Chris Lindstrom. Yes. Okay. I think I, I think I did know that. Um, did he go to Florida State or something? Boston College. They got the same colors, basically. Yes. I yes. knew it was one of them schools. Yeah, I knew the colors. I wasn't sure what uh, was school. Yeah, there's one play, Chris. Josh has seen it. Aaron Donald takes 63 and body slams that man like they was in the MMA. F- I mean, lifts him off his feet. He doesn't even make the play. He just lifts 63 up and just b- body slams him. It was it was really bad. But credit to 63, even though I know his name now. It's like calling him 63 now. When Marcus Mariota threw that first pick and he chased that cornerback yes. all the way on some DK Metcalf energy, he chases him probably 50, 60 yards and catches him at the, the 10 or 5 or 10, yeah. Yeah, that was that was that was impressive, man. That was a great play. He's, a, he, he's a good play. He's a good player. He's a he is he's one of their. He, they picked up his fifth year option. He was a first round pick in nineteen, I guess. They picked up his fifth round option. Um, I think he's a guy who will be he'll he'll sort of do his job in anonymity here for a long time. But he's a good player. Yeah, this is I'm showcasing the football junkie I am talking about in, interior linemen getting body slammed. But yeah. <laughs> I've been watching film for the past like 24 hours, so that's all that's on my mind now. It's like you know, defensive cutups um, and anything. Uh, Josh, before we get you out of here, you want to plug anything, social media, where people can read your stuff or listen to you or anything? Right. The same same place they can find you at The Athletic. We appreciate everybody. Uh, Twitter is Josh The Athletic. I don't know that I'm particularly fascinating on Twitter. I'm just, you know, I'm mainly just, pump, just pumping out Falcon stories. But, um, you know, I'm there if anybody needs to find me. What's your, what's your Twitter? Give us your ad. Josh. Name. Josh the Athletic, because Josh at the Athletic, going back years, I've just made my Twitter handle Josh at whatever place I'm working for. But I couldn't make Josh at the Athletic fit, so I ended up with just Josh the Athletic, which is wildly inaccurate. And I feel like (laughs) sets up up unrealistic expectations, but that's what it is. All right, man. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Um, very happy to have Josh Kendall on the show joining us, man. Make sure you guys check out uh, his work, man. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. You guys know where to follow me on Twitter. My co-host, Christopher Kidd. You guys know where to follow him on Twitter as well. Gentlemen, are you guys both sticking with your game predictions after we hashed out some of the matchups? Chris, you still rolling with the Falcons? Josh, you still rolling with the Falcons? Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm, going, I'm going Seahawks win a tight one, but ask me at halftime. I, I, I reserve the right <laughs> to change my prediction. 
But of course, at halftime, has not been a good judge of either Falcons game previous. So ask me in the fourth quarter. Late, yeah, late. Like <laughs> Should actually when there's like ten seconds left. <laughs> Who you got, Josh? <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, guys, we'll catch you guys for our post game episode after Seahawks Falcons. On that note, we're out. You see, I don't have to drive me if you say that for your mama. Maybe you should smoke some. Man, try the marijuana. I was never you good. The vibe was straight. Shows you a couple of things and they finished trying. I treated you right. Everything was a gift from a time to your bag and a color on your lip. Yeah, you're telling your Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.